0: In each episode, we discuss the process of decision-making on a different topic from the business owner's or executive's perspective. We aren't necessarily telling you what to do, but we can put you in a position to make an informed decision on your own and understand when you might need help along the way. My name is Mike Blake, and I'm your host for today's program. I'm a director at Brady & Company, a full-service accounting firm based in Dayton, Ohio, with offices in Dayton, Columbus, Ohio, Richmond, Indiana, and Alfreda, Georgia. My practice specializes in providing fact-based, strategic, and risk management advice to clients that are buying, selling, or growing the value of companies and intellectual property. RadioWare is sponsoring this podcast, which is being recorded in Atlanta for social distancing protocols. If you'd like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and Adam Blakeable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. If you like this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite podcast aggregator, and please consider leaving a review of the podcast as well. Our topic today is: Should I create an email newsletter? And um, you know, in in doing this topic, I almost think like it's what's old is new again, back to the future, retro, however you want to call it. Email newsletters, I think, have been declared dead more times than your typical cat or Rasputin. Take take, take either one. Um, you know, first it was spam blockers and the next was social media of course social media was going to obviate the need for email newsletters and then of course everybody told us if we don't send people things in the analog world handwrite write them then nobody's ever going to read it and and the list goes on and on and uh to coin a phrase from about five years ago and yet they persist and i think they persist for very good reason is that they have they've taken on kind of all comers and, and in spite of that, um, many, in spite of many attempts and ongoing attempts to disrupt, to disrupt that world, email newsletters continue to thrive. And perhaps the best indicator of that is the fact that Atlanta's own homegrown startup MailChimp was just bought by Intuit for $12 billion. And, and you know, MailChimp basically is, exists to help people and companies publish email newsletters. Now, why does a tax company want a newsletter company? I'm not sure. I was going to say I'm not in that business, but I guess working for a CPA firm, I technically am, but I'm not. And I'm, you know, I don't even do my own taxes on a CPA. And uh, I don't understand the strategic rationale for that deal or the price that they paid. But, um, you know, good for Ben Chestnut and his team. They've worked hard on that, on, on that company for a very long time. They certainly deserve to see the fruits of that labor, and that's a big feather in the cap for those, um, for those of us who believe in the Atlanta startup ecosystem, as, as I do. And so, you know, I think that, that this is a topic that that requires, and I think many of us will benefit from, from this discussion. And, in, and helping us with this is, uh, is Michael Katz, who's an award-winning humorous and former corporate marketer and founder and chief penguin of Blue Penguin, and he specializes in helping professional services firms and solos talk and write about their work in a way that is clear and compelling. Since launching Blue Penguin in 2000, Michael has been quoted in the Wall Street Journal, the New York Times, Business Week Online, Bloomberg TV, Forbes.com, Inc.com, USA Today, and other national and local media, and you can tell that he had nothing to do with my introductory comments. He is the author of four books and over the past 20 years has published more than 500 issues of the likable expert Gazette, a twice monthly email newsletter and podcast with 6,000 passionate subscribers in over 40 countries around the world. Michael has an MBA from Boston University. Uh, I grew up in Boston and a BA in psychology from McGill University in Montreal, home of my favorite actor and yours, William Shatner, or at least birthplace. He is a past winner of the New England Press Association Award for Best Humor Columnist. Michael, welcome to the program.
1: Great to be here. Thanks for having me.
0: So, um, you know, there's so many ways to communicate in the written word now with, with our intended audiences. And I actually think it is helpful. It may sound like the most inane question in the world, but I do think that the definitions have been blurred. It is important in your mind, what makes a newsletter a newsletter and what separates it from other forms of written communication, you know, written, I'm going to say mass communication, probably cringe at saying that, but it is sort of a, you know, one to many kind of communication model. Mm -hmm. What makes a newsletter a newsletter?
1: Well, I I think it is pretty blurry. I mean, I always think of it, it's just a glorified email sent to more than one person. I mean, the the email that Target sends to you telling you you've got 30% off and the email that, you know, your accounting firm sends with useful information, they're all technically newsletters and people pretty much use them interchangeably. So, um, I, you know, the definition really hasn't gotten any clearer over the years. It sort of depends what business you're in. But I think it's st- it still applies that when you send it by email to a number of people and generally not, not personalized beyond the, uh, you know, dear name.
0: You know, it's, it's, it's interesting. You know, I, Even I, I would not have thought of the target virtual flyer being a newsletter, but I guess it is right. And, and, and that, that, that definition between out and out advertisement, newsletter, blog post, something else, I think, I think has been blurred. And I guess I'll follow up with this question. Is that distinction even meaningful?
1: Um, I think the distinction is: is this a thing that lands in your inbox or is it somewhere else? Social media, video, all that. So, you know, I think as you were saying, Mike, earlier, it's written and it's, you know, it shows up in your email. And so that then becomes the question: so is that still valuable or not? But I think all those things, I suppose, are the same species: email newsletter.
0: Okay. So, those of us who are listening to, this podcast are, they, they may well be hearing newsletter and wondering, oh my gosh, do I have to basically now become a professional writer? I didn't even, I didn't like writing five page essays in school. Now I got to do something every week or maybe more than that. Is, is there an ideal length in your mind for a newsletter? Can newsletters be short? Do they need to be long form? Do they need to be very long form? What What's best practices in determining just how much content goes into a newsletter.
1: Yeah. Uh, I always say one word is perfect. However, you have to get over two bars, at least again, the world that I live in. So again, I'm not doing the targeted and you know the target 30% off. I work exclusively with small professional service firms, financial planners, consultants, recruiters, um, coaches. So these are all people who are selling themselves or their small firm, essentially. And so those kind of newsletters are information-based. They're not about an event. They're not click-to-buy kinds of things, like click here and buy it. They're really about getting, and we'll talk more about it, but getting in front of a group of people. So, yes, shorter is better because I can get your stuff sooner. However, two things. One is you have to tell me something that I will read it and have learned something. So I'm always saying you're looking for me to read it and go, oh, There's something I just learned about accounting, legal, you know, management, consulting, whatever. Second thing is, I think you want your newsletter to be long enough that you include some of your personal voice story um, experience. Because if it's just information, well, I can get information by Googling it. So if you can say something that includes something useful and enough story, which I know we'll talk about. Then I think that's good. I would say that for most people, then you're talking five to eight hundred words to get that in there. But you know, there's even among my own clients, there's
0: there's there's variations there. So, how do you so- decide what goes in? And and, and I'll, pre- I'll preface this with kind of my experience with this podcast. And you've done a lot more of these things than I have. So, um, uh, God God bless you. I don't know how you do it. Um, um, but, but I, I, the, the question I'm asked most frequently is how do you decide on the topics and how do you kind of keep it fresh? Yeah. And, and, and my answer to them is, well, I keep a, for me, I just keep a running note in Evernote. And every time something pops in my head, I write it down. And then if I don't write it down or I'm sorry, if I, if I'm really stuck, I'm not afraid to revisit something. If I think somebody else can bring a different voice to the same topic. Right. Um, so how, how do you decide what goes in your newsletter? So my point of view is tr- I'm, trying
1: to, I'm trying to help my readers not need to hire me, which sounds counterintuitive. But what I mean is that, and this is true for any profession that I'm working with, help them learn not to need you. So if you took a very simple example, suppose you're a carpenter. Your newsletter should be about how to use a hammer, how to buy wood, how to climb a ladder. It's very simple stuff. And yes, if I had got and received and retained a thousand newsletters like that, I suppose I would know as much as my carpenter. But the truth is, you'll never give away your business with those 500, 700 word tidbits. But it has to be useful so that I read it. Like everybody thinks about what do I say to promote my business, which is fine. That's why we're doing it. But your readers don't care about your business. They are only going to read it and stay with you and tell other people about it if they find it useful. So that's the sort of basis of it always. You have to match up to the audience that presumably would hire you by giving them something that will make them live their lives better or do their jobs better. Instead of so running out of information. I mean, I've written 500 newsletters. I have like 30 ideas. So it's fine. I mean, I don't republish them. And, and by the way, that's where stories come in. But I'll address a similar topic with a similar, you know, with a slightly different angle or something. Nobody says, wait a second, four years ago in April, you, you said the same thing. It, it, it's sort of like, you know, if you have a personal trainer at the gym, you know, the guys told you a thousand times to, you know, keep your back straight when you do pushups. You don't say, wait a second, they already told me that. So people need repetition anyway. That's fine. The other thing is, even your most loyal readers probably read every other one. So it's fine. You're trying to be out in front of a particular population over and over again with useful information and some personality because, again, your goal is that they refer you or maybe they hire you. So it's sort of easier than you think. I always say, if you know enough to be in a profession, you'll never run out of content. I've never had a client, my longest running client an attorney. We've been doing a newsletter for 18 years, still publishing.
0: You know, you, you, bring up that topic of, of, you know, what's the likelihood somebody's going to remember a topic. I, you know, I guess that's right. I mean, in fact, I, I would love it if somebody has actually listened to this podcast with enough intentionality and frequency that they could spot any kind of repetitive material. And frankly, I think I might, I might actually buy a steak dinner, right. If you sort of organically did that. Cause I just, I don't think I have the kind of following like somebody at Dragon Con who shows up and questions one of the actors like in episode one ninety two. How did the physics work when the spaceship like went from galaxy to galaxy, right? I, I don't think I have that kind of following. so it it probably is okay to kind of recycle stuff, even and if you put a slant on it, so much the better. but but you're right. the 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 portion of the population that's gonna have an encyclopedic recall of all of your newsletters is a pretty small one. And if they are, You've probably already got them hooked anyway.
1: Right, I agree.
0: Um, so I'm going to go off script a little bit because your, your your narrative brings brings to, to mind a really what I think is a really interesting question, and that is, can can you recall the most memorable newsletter you either received or published? Either <laughs> one you're really proud of, or one you helped somebody publish because I know that's what you do, or one that you received that maybe you still. So you know what? That was a I really got something great out of that newsletter that I still use. I got it 10 years ago, I still use that today.
1: That's a good question. Um and 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 my answer is no. And but here's why. Because a newsletter is a the value of a newsletter is a cumulative event. It's like if I said to you, can you remember the best workout you ever had? You're like, how do I know? Right. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, it was like a Tuesday five years ago. Right. <laughs> So the same thing. And I often have to sort of talk people down from this, even people who think you're hiring me to say, look, it's not a Super Bowl ad. You're not going to publish a newsletter and have your phone ring off the hook. And I do always use the exercise metaphor that exercising five times is you may as well not do it at all. But without question, if you exercise regularly for six months, you'll get results. Same thing. It's an ongoing event where people start to know you, they start to remember what you're writing about, and then one day, somebody needs what you're selling. So one important thing about a newsletter and its regularity is it takes timing out of the equation. So the problem with advertising is you have to keep doing it. Because if you see a car ad today and you just bought a car last week, you have zero interest. Or if you're planning to buy it in a year, zero interest. So the, the reason the car people, for example, have to advertise constantly is because there's always a slice of the population that's ready to buy a car. So they waste a ton of money on everyone else who isn't. Well, the newsletter, and particularly if you're a small professional service firm, you know, you don't have advertising money. This is putting you in front of people over and over again. And so one day they're tired of their financial plan or their accountant doesn't return their phone calls, you know, that whatever. They say, Do you know anybody who could help me with this? The newsletter acts as that constant prompt in front of them. So it's visibility is a big part of what's going on. I,
0: I, I think that's really smart. And I actually kind of want to pause a little bit on that because I, 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 I've talked to many people who, who, for example, in, in the podcast, I don't have a newsletter. I'm, I'm eventually going to come out with one, but I, I I don't have one yet. But I think with the podcast, it's the same. I'm, I'm frequently asked, you know, how much business have you gotten out of it? And my answer is, frankly, I have no earthly idea, right? It's because it's, it's nobody's going to listen to my podcast and then pick up the phone and say, hey, I need you to do an appraisal of my company. It's just, it's not going to happen. And podcasts in particular really don't work that way. But it's the cumulative reminding people that you're out there, that you have this expertise, you have that service so that it's much more likely that that need is going to meet availability. Right. And so it's, 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 it's about impact, right? It's not something it's about, yeah, it's important and it's urgent, but there's a third dimension out there about impact. And when you, when you, when you do a newsletter consistently, I think it has, there's a very similar philosophical ingredient to it or foundation to it that it's not about the newsletter that you publish today. It's the aggregate of newsletters that you can have published and continue to publish over an extended length of time.
1: Right. In fact, I'd even say the who calls you because they heard one podcast is suspect. That's not a good client. That's that's like, what can I say to a woman in a bar to get her to marry me? Nothing. Anyone who would say yes is bad. (laughs) I want someone who's listened to your podcast for a year, because, first of all, you've screened out all the people who would actually hate you if they hired you, because they're like, I like this guy. And the people who don't, go away. Yep. I never get... I, because my entire business is based on my own newsletter. No one ever gets in touch with me who isn't kind of pre-qualified. So it's very effective in that way. And the best clients are the ones who've been listening for a while and finally say, hey, we're ready to hire you. I mean, it's the easiest sales call you'll ever get, an inbound call like that.
0: So, as I said my my introduction... <clears throat> Newsletters—they've—they've—they've they've, they've been declared dead a lot, and they're still here. You're still here. You don't look dead to me. Don't sound dead. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, why have they survived? Why? Why do they continue to thrive? I think that, and I think they thrive. See if you agree with me. Why do they continue to thrive? Where there's so much, so much competition now for our attention.
1: Yeah. Well. You're right. I mean, it's really, it's so interesting how much it's changed. So I started doing newsletters in 2001. And the biggest uh, objection I received from potential clients was that not enough of their clients and customers had email. Mm -hmm. And then then like blogs came out. That was going to kill it. Then it was the whole spam thing. I mean, it's amazing to think that Congress got together and passed a canned spam act. That spam was so bad that there was a law passed about it. And and then social media came. And I have to say about maybe whatever it was 10 years ago when social media sort of started, I was concerned. Like, you know, I don't want to be so selling this thing that's like a dinosaur. And so paying very close attention, what's the next thing, looking around? And I think a couple of things. One is um, nobody's in charge of email. So the problem with social media and you know, there have been some very high, part, high profile examples. They can, they can kick you up if they want. Yep. They run the whole thing. Like nobody knows what the algorithm on LinkedIn is or Facebook to get you in front of different people. It's a secret. So you, you could be very popular on LinkedIn and tomorrow they change the algorithm and now it drops. So you're, you don't own the real estate if you build a business on any of the social media platforms. You're, there's somebody in between you and the recipient. Email is a completely distributed system. Nobody is in charge of email. So the only people who decide whether my newsletter is read and opened are the people on the list. So that's very powerful. Um, secondly, it shows up in your inbox. So it's funny. Sometimes if I'm talking to a, like a live group, I'll, I'll say, okay, raise your hand if you've checked LinkedIn today. And you get like you know, half the group. Raise your hand if you've checked email. Everybody. So. As much as email is dead, you know it's sort of like the day you can sign up for a social media account without an email address. I believe it's dead. It still is the default in in our life. It's not even do you have email anymore. There's things you can't do. I can't like I can't make a doctor's appointment anymore without an email address. So, even though I've been wondering will it die, it still continues to be very um, compelling. And again. Because my newsletter will sit in your inbox until you delete it, I think that's also more powerful than a post on LinkedIn, which in the time we've been talking, if somebody posted it's already gone. You know, it's pushed down. So it just sort of continues to – it's funny. It's like skinny ties. Back. <laughs> For no good reason. But if you wait long enough, I guess. And um, I don't know if something will replace it, but I've, I've never found anything that's as effective um in all the ways we've been talking about his email. So still a lot.
0: Yeah that that that's a really interesting that's an interesting description. I hadn't thought of either of those things, but it it it's it's right to me. You know, social media, we, we don't own the real estate. We don't control who sees our thing, who sees our, our our content. And you know, we try to read the tea leaves in terms of what's going to 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 gather that the the most uh, first of all, visibility, right? And then engagement, which is entirely, you know, that's a different animal. But then this notion that that in in a way, email has become like broadcast television, right? The way that you describe it. And I, and I think that's so smart. Um, and, and I guess it resonates with me because several years ago, we cut the court. Um, no cable TV, but we, we still do subscribe to the Netflix who loses the world. I have no idea for saving money. We're probably not. If I'm, if I'm, you know, coldly honest about it, but the, one of the the reason we still do that is because you can't just sort of turn on Netflix and a program appears, right? You have to be with the modern television model. You have to be intentional about what you want to watch. Right. Unless you do cable and then you can do that. Right. That that's what we want to do. Email is kind of the same thing. Right. It's so ingrained. Like you said, you cannot make a doctor's appointment. You can't do most almost anything you want to do in life. The, the phone book has been replaced by email in some regard. Right. And so you you're looking at it. If you're a functional adult in the society, you are actively managing and and, and looking at an email account. And that's the way into everybody is through that that channel. And I had not thought about that until you raised that before. That's that's really interesting. That's really important. I think it could. It does
1: somewhat depend on the population too. So, you know, everyone I work with is I don't know forty year older. Yep. Whereas you know I have a twenty two year old son. I have to I have to text him to tell him to check his email. So it yeah. is possible, even though he has an email account, it is possible if you're talking to that audience. And who knows the sort of next generation that it, it moves on, but at least for now, you know, my people are the middle aged and older. um, We're still very much tied to email.
0: Yeah. I'm with you. I'm, I'm on the older side of Gen X myself. So email is going to be my primary, my primary conduit. And I have a teenager. I kind of do the same thing, but what he's finding is that, I mean, texting among amongst himself and his friends is fine, but for the really important stuff, he misses a lot if he doesn't check email. Right. Well, <laughs> right. right. So right. Yeah. You know, right. For, for what it's worth, for now, you and I are still controlling the world. Uh, and 20 <laughs> years may different, but Good we still have the world with an iron fest. Um so um let me switch gears here and it's a little bit more the, a little bit of the how. So there are services out there, as you know, where you can send out a newsletter that's basically canned content somebody writes it for you and then you put your name on it you say that it's yours what do you think of those is, is there any value to those in your mind are there certain is there a value case to a certain kind of customer are they really valuable what, what what's your view there
1: um i think there's value there i mean again because the the option of not doing that is you're invisible so even if i never open your email but you show up once a month or whenever, and I, you know, for whatever reason, don't unsubscribe. At least I know you're you're alive, so that's better than nothing. Um, there's a few things missing though. The problem is, you know, back in the day when it was print emails, and you know, the insurance industry was famous for this, where you could get your photo and your you know contact information onto some thing they mailed. Well, back then. It was valuable to have someone give you some information about buying insurance, for example. Today, I can get any piece of information I want on anything in a minute with Google. So if all you're sending me is canned information, number one, it's not unusual in any way. And number two, it's not even your point of view. So this sort of funny thing going on, people sign up for your newsletter because they want the information, but... What I'm trying to do is get them to know who I am or who my clients are. Because if you're selling a professional service, the problem is the people who are your prospects and even your clients cannot tell how good you are relative to the other options. It's like you don't have the slightest idea how medically capable your own doctors. You don't even know where he or she went to medical school. You're like, I don't know. And if I said, do you like your doctor? So, again, I often will say to an audience, raise your hand if you like your doctor. You got a lot of hands going up. Keep your hand up if you know where your doctor went to medical school. Nobody. So why do you like your doctor then? Or your accountant? Or your auto mechanic? I like the way they talk to me. I like their point of view. I like their personality. It has sort of nothing to do with their capability. Yes, you have to be capable. But everybody who's worth worrying about is capable. In fact, if you're in an industry like yours, Mike, that's... Where certification certification is required, CPA, medical school, you know, whatever. Uh, it's actually harder to distinguish yourself because I know as long as I hire a CPA, I got somebody who's over the bar. So the differentiator is not capability. Again, you have to be good enough. It's all this soft, squishy, non-professional business stuff. And so, to me, what a newsletter ought to be is. Story and personality wrapped around useful information because over time people get to know you. What's funny is when I write a newsletter, let's say for myself, um, I'll write about, you know, a trip. My my family just took a trip to Colorado. Nine out of ten of the comments I get relate to someone else who went to Colorado. It's not about the business thing. If I only wrote a newsletter and just told you about a family trip, you'd unsubscribe. But when I wrap this around the useful information, the, the soft stuff is what they notice. And ultimately, I think that's why you hire me versus somebody else. Or don't hire me because you don't like me. But again, I, I'm happy about that. You're better off if we wouldn't get along to go elsewhere. So it's a really weird thing. But it's extreme, extremely powerful because that's really how word of mouth works anyway. People just passing other people around. And um, a newsletter done this way it's just a very scalable way to do this, you know, to network essentially.
0: And, you know, that, that's, that, that's interesting how you bring, how you bring the individual voice into that. And, 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 and I agree with that and you're right. It is in, in, in the accounting industry, very challenging for people to separate themselves and, and, and really hard. Oh. You got to be really careful and say I'm the best accountant in the world. Um <laughs> That's, that, that, that's, that's a hard, that's a hard position to sustain or quantify. Right. But you can always make yourself different, but you can't make yourself different unless you're actually communicating with somebody that they can see how you're different. And I don't think it's all that effective to say, well, I'm different. (laughs) You have to lead people to their own conclusion that you're different by acting differently. Um, So I want to get to creating your content in a second, but I want—I do want to cover another model for newsletters, which is not a canned service per se, but maybe a newsletter that's based on curating somebody else's content. Like you're a big reader and you assume that you're doing a service um, for your readers who don't have as much time to read and gather as information as much as you do. So you're going to kind of aggregate information on behalf of somebody else. Yeah. In your mind, how effective is that kind of newsletter content strategy? So I think of it along a long continuum. So all the way to one side is I never
1: publish anything. As far as you know, I'm dead. Okay. <laughs> Next step is here's a newsletter where it's got my picture on it, my contact information, but it's totally canned and I had nothing to do with it. But way better than nothing. I mean, because, again, I think half the game is showing up. The curated one is one step further because now – at least you've had input into what you decided is important. The downside is you're hosting other experts, essentially. So I don't know anything about how you think. I don't know anything about your voice, your story, your personality. I just know, okay, he or she said these things matter. What I want to get to is one step beyond that, which is this is my point of view. Again, if you've been in a CPA for 20 years, you know a lot of stuff. And the other thing is people will think, Oh, so I have to write something that's never been said before in the world of accounting? I mean, we all have one or two things and maybe, and that's it. You got to remember your audience, if I'm a reader of your newsletter, I don't know anything about accounting. I don't want to know a lot about accounting. I just want a little insight that goes, blah, blah, blah. Here's what you need to do. It's accounting 101. It's embarrassingly simple. Again, in the carpenter example, how to buy wood, another carpenter would be like, well, no kidding. But to me, as a homeowner, I don't know. So super simple, a little nugget that makes me go, "Huh, okay, I just learned something. I'll come back next month. And again, if you include that with some personal story, which, by the way, the only unique thing you have in terms of information is your story. Like nobody can tell the story I told about going to Colorado with my family. I'm the only one on earth who can do it. Anyone could have told the insight, whatever it was, I don't remember, that came with it. So it's it's the more custom I think the better because again you're trying to not just be known as an accountant you're trying to be known as that guy Mike that I like and maybe one day we'll hire him because kind of sick of our accountant for whatever reason.
0: Um, so it, it, when, when I think of newsletters, I, 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 this probably reveals my age again. I'm, I'm I'm a Gen X just the way it is. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I think of newsletters that have maybe three or four articles in them, and they have sort of a you know professional publishing format and so forth. Is is that best practices now? Should does a newsletter have to talk about three or four different things to kind of be worthy of the name, or can you send out a newsletter that that in effect is one is one message?
1: Well, so now we're getting into stuff where it's like I don't think there's a must be this way or must be that way. We're all as long as you satisfy useful information wrapped inside personality, I think you're there. Because um, the other question is, should I make them click to read it or should I put the whole thing in the email? Plus Yep. Um, plus and minus on both sides. It's funny how in the same breath people will say, nobody has time to read anything. Should I have five articles? <laughs> <I'm> like, well, <laughs> I mean, I wasn't kidding when I said one word is the best because although I don't think length equals quality – There's a reality that people, you know, if your newsletter is too long, I think people stockpile them, which kind of adds up to never read them. Um, I have a friend slash client, the only person I've ever met who can satisfy the useful information personality in 300 words. I don't know how he does it, but his newsletter is so short that when it arrives, I read it right away because I know it's going to be short. So I think it's okay to have the several stories, but... Again, my goal isn't to be a publisher, it's to generate business. So I just want to make sure I tick the box of useful in story. And so uh, I, I'm inclined towards the um, main article. There'll be some tidbits like, hey, you know, here's we just won this award or, you know, again, with my clients, there might be another section. Or I, have, I have someone who does like a, a book of the month that she reads. She's an attorney. But there's that one main article. And um I find that works pretty well, and uh, it gets read as a
0: result so you, you you talk about and I agree that it's important for a newsletter, if possible to to reveal as much of the voice of the creator of the newsletter as as possible. What do you do if you're not a particularly good writer? <laughs> Right. Not not everybody, you know, some people are good at math, some people are good at writing, some people want to be good at writing, others couldn't care less. It, is our, our newsletter just sort of closed off to you, or is it a massively hard slog if you just don't fancy yourself as a writer?
1: Okay, so I'm gonna use another exercise analogy. Please,
0: please. So
1: like 10 years ago I had knee surgery, like I had my ACL replaced. And afterwards, the, the physical therapist said, OK, you got to go to the gym and get on an elliptical machine because you can't run for a while. And I never used an elliptical machine, but I did belong to a gym. So I go in there and I look and there's like four different kinds of elliptical machines. And so I go up to the front desk and there's the guy is like I still remember this like huge muscle guy with just like tiny little T-shirt <laughs> reading like a muscle magazine. And he doesn't even look up at me. And I go, hey. which of these elliptical machines is the best one? And he said what I believe is like the most wisdom I've ever heard without looking up. He goes, whichever one you'll stay on the longest. (laughs) (laughs) The reason we have multiple machines is because some people like this one and some people like that one, the point of exercise is more, more of it. So it's sort of the same thing that um, you're trying to do something you don't hate. So I can talk all day about why newsletters are great, but if you're going to do it yourself for that help and you hate writing, you're not going to do it. So find something else. Maybe you're a good talker and so a podcast is better for you. Maybe you're good on camera and video or you know social media, whatever. You have to pick um, marketing tactics that you at least can tolerate. Same thing. Some people hate running. Some people like swimming. Or you'll never do it because the rest is really sort of nuance is a podcast better than a newsletter. I don't know. The point is keep showing up, keep doing it. Um, I don't think you have to be a great writer though, as long as you're willing to do it. It's funny. I've had so many people over the years say, I'm a terrible writer. Like no one's ever said to me, I can't talk to other people. (laughs) What do I do? (laughs) It's sort of the same thing. This isn't like, you know, you gotta be Stephen King here. In fact, I spend a lot of time unteaching people to stop writing like they're writing marketing. Like they get into this mode of it's either super formal or it's like, hey, dude, let's kill it. And the guy's like 60. (laughs) (laughs) I think your newsletter, because again, it is an email, it's inherently informal. So your newsletter, I think, should sound like you speaking as as close as that as you can get. And since most people can speak, coherently Um, if you do that you're good now you may need an editor because you know you don't want it to look unprofessional with you know punctuation or you know misused words but that's okay most of my clients um the arrangement is I, i have some people where i interview them and they never get on the they never touch a keyboard that's fine but i have other people where after we've figured out all this voice and you know what's the design and the Mailchimp setup and all that um Every month we talk about, okay, what's the topic going to be? We've already identified a bunch of areas. We go back and forth on, well, yeah, I think that sounds like three topics. What if you did this one? They write the first draft badly. Like I always say, I don't need you to write it well. I just need the raw material. Give me enough information that I I can do it. I don't do any research. And by the way, neither do they. Because again, you, you don't need to do accounting research. You could talk forever. And then I fix it. So I'm, you know, essentially a writer, but as long as they just give me the blah, I then take that and fix it. Again, whereas there's other professionals I know who do the whole thing themselves. So you can do it. You just, uh, but you got to do it. It's like you can't go to the gym twice. You got to keep going.
0: Um, Has the advent of mobile devices changed at all how you do or how you create or think about newsletters as a medium?
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, when it, when it started to become a thing, I don't know, five or six years ago, um, you, you know, we had to get rid of the newsletters with the side column, which was sort of the standard because it has to look good on a phone. And then, you know, there's this term responsive, meaning your device responds to your newsletter response to whatever device it's on. So the same newsletter will work on a computer, a tablet or a phone. And, you know, the MailChimps of the world have made that automatic. So you don't have to even worry about it. But You know, half of the world, at least, is opening email on a phone. I don't know what percent will actually read it there, but you have to make sure, you know, the font's big enough that you don't have graphics that don't work on a phone. So you just test it. But, you know, it's not a problem, but you certainly have to account for it.
0: So I want to switch gears uh, here. An important important driver of success in a newsletter, I would imagine, is having an audience to send it to. <laughs> um, yeah. And it, it seems to me that building an email list, well, uh, I'm getting ahead of myself. What if you have, what if, What do you do? Is the, I'm sure there's a listener, there are listeners that are listening to this right now and they're thinking, you know what? Newsletter sounds great. I don't know who I'm going to send it to, right? What is, is there a special order of operations or how do you come How do you come up with a mailing list or are there tips to, do you think about building a mailing list really quickly? And then if you do do that, any content, I mean, is, is, is the newsletter only a game, I guess, for somebody that already has a big mailing list?
1: No, because again, I'm working with professional service providers. No, none of those people have mailing lists, but your mailing lists are the people, you know, I define people, you know, as if you called them up, you wouldn't have to introduce yourself. So it's not everybody you went to college with. It's not the membership list of your professional organization. That's spam. But it's 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 your, the humans on earth you know. I find like the average middle-aged person knows like four or 500 people. That was, oh, I only know 50. But now we sit down. It's your college roommate. It's your brother-in-law. It's these people, you know, it's former clients. I'll talk about, what, you know, what, what's the value of your brother-in-law here. It's not... It's not so people make two mistakes. One is they just get every email they can get, and now they're seen as a spammer. Don't do that. The other is they think, who might hire me? So now they have like 15 people. It's a word of mouth game. So the way I get hired as a marketing consultant, yes, sometimes it's a potential client, but more often than not, you know, four out of five, it's somebody else. My brother in law who reads my newsletter and finally knows what I do for a living after, you know, how many years. And tell a friend, if you think about how word of mouth works, it's two people sitting in Starbucks and somebody goes, I'm just so sick of my accountant. That guy never calls me back, blah, blah, blah. And the other guy goes, look at this guy's newsletter. Call him. What's funny is when people refer professionals like that, they don't even necessarily know how the professional works, what they charge, how good they are. If right now, if I said, I need a guitar teacher, your brain goes, who do I know? Call this guy. So if you take those 500 people, your brother-in-law, your college roommate, colleagues, you know, more business people, and you're in front of them every month talking whatever it is you do, what happens is they refer you. When you so when I start a newsletter with a new client, I'm like, give me those people. Again, only people you know. The first time you published out of 550, those people are going to unsubscribe. And yes, you'll get one person maybe, although it doesn't even happen anymore, who's angry that they're on the list. It happened 10 years ago when everybody was like, spam, don't spam me. Now, for whatever reason, like when was the last time you heard somebody complain about spam? It's not even a thing anymore. But so now you're off and running with your 450 people. And yes, it's good to add people because it's a leaky bucket. Every month people move or whatever. But you don't need to like aggressively grow your list. In fact, I don't know of a way to do that that isn't spam. But I practice what I call aggressive opt-in. <laughs> when I meet somebody, I go, hey can add in my list. So you know, we can so I'm adding onesie twosies all the time. You will get some people who who wander over your website and sign up, but not a lot if you're the average professional person. So you have to kind of work it intentionally. But what's amazing is you only need like 500 people. You know, yes, if you're selling products you need 50,000 people. But if you're selling professional services, I mean, if I get 20 new clients a year, it's all I can handle. So the numbers are small. And again, it works very well for this population, which is different than if your target who needs to do all kinds of stuff like this. It's not, it's really not a list size thing. It's a quality thing, quality of the list.
0: Is there an optimal frequency for publishing newsletters? Every day. <laughs>
1: um, I think, every, again, for a professional service newsletter, which again, just to say it varies. If you own a bar, it's probably once a week on you know Thursday afternoon. But in my world, once, almost everybody I work with, it's once a month. So it's only 12 times a year. And I say only because it has to be manageable. You can't, you know, I, I publish my newsletter every two weeks, which I think is perfect in terms of um, effectiveness. But most people can't sustain that because they have real jobs. Once a month, there's a nice rhythm to that. Gives you time to, pub, to get it ready, publish it, and then get some breathing room for a couple of weeks and start again. Um, it's funny like 18 years ago I would say to people once a month and your troubles are over now I say the least you can do it I think is once a month because there's so many other things out there that you'll be invisible if you back up to the default which is quarterly I don't think that's enough anymore but it's more than enough well it's enough I mean again all my clients do it that way mostly and they all regularly, because people share their success stories, like, hey, I just got a new client, mentioned my newsletter. You know, it happens all the time. So it's a good it's a good pace.
0: So we've talked a little bit about, about, in effect, the long tail of newsletters and how you measure performance. But it also seems to me that one of the benefits of newsletters is that, unlike podcasts, for example, there's a lot of data out there that can give you insight in terms of who's opening it and who's mm-hmm. reading it, that sort of thing. Yeah. Is that are those metrics that you follow, do they matter to you? And, and if so, you know, what do you really pay attention to? What do you what do you use and maybe what's overhyped?
1: Well, I think newsletter data is overhyped because the only thing you can measure is opens and clicks and bounces. So because that's the only thing you can measure, that's what we measure. But the truth is, if I'm not selling sneakers or something, What's the difference how many clicks there were? It doesn't matter. What matters is, has anyone ever said, I called you because of your newsletter? And I'd say even there, yes, you get these direct connects, which are great. I love when a client tells me that or I get that. I mean, my favorite call is somebody goes, hi, we've been reading your newsletter for two years and want to talk to you. That's a client coming up right there. But um, people like to measure stuff. The thing is, with opens is, first of all, it's inaccurate in many ways. And by the way, Apple just made a change to their privacy policy, so every Apple device is going to look like it opened your newsletter. So everybody, it's going to become even more irrelevant. No. But we're not in a click to buy world; we're in a um, relationship building world. So it's almost like if you went to a networking event and shook and, and measured how many hands you shook, like it kind of relates to. Did you make your way around the room? But it's not really what you're measuring. So, although I do provide data to my clients and people ask about it often or usually before they hire me, I'm not even sure they even look at it after they're up and running. Just there's a certain leap of faith though, because it is, it's relationship building. It's hard to connect, you know, A to B. Um, Part of the reason I work only with small firms now, I used to work with big companies, is because I got tired of having to defend it. Because if you're the marketing guy in a big company, because I used to be, you got to defend everything you spend to the CFO. If you own a business, I don't need to explain to you the value of relationship building. So I'd much rather work with someone who goes, "Yeah, I get it."
0: So um, we're talking with Michael. Uh, Michael, Cash and the topic is: Should I create an email newsletter? Um. Does does the time that you the time of day that you send an email newsletter out matter? Not anymore.
1: I mean, again, back in the day when we all closed our computers at five o'clock on Friday and didn't look at them until Monday morning, I think so. But it's very much a seven by twenty four thing now. I, I do. I try and avoid the times people are in heavy delete mode. So even though it's seven twenty four, people do sleep. So you wouldn't want to send your newsletter overnight. Like my wife wakes up, reaches for her phone starts deleting she's trying to clear the day so when she gets in front of her desk she's got less stuff you don't want to be in that pile because the bar is higher i also avoid mondays because even though yes it's seven twenty-four, we do sort of slow down so um, to me a, a newsletter for time between like you know nine in the morning and or eight in the morning and i try and do in the morning rather than you know i have in the afternoon but i have no data for that and then You know, Tuesday through Friday, again, for a business newsletter. But I have never found a a difference in any measurable way that says, you know, middle of the week, middle of the day is better. But this kind of stuff, I don't think it matters.
0: Uh, One piece of advice you hear pretty frequently when engaging in digital marketing is to reuse that content if you can, right? If you've got got a newsletter article, make it into a YouTube video podcast, whatever. Do you no pun intended subscribe to that to that to that theory, or do you think that content needs to be more kind of siloed?
1: No, I totally agree. In fact, the best thing that happened to email newsletters is social media. I mean, when I first started doing a newsletter, you'd send the thing out, and then it evaporated. It was email. So if you subscribed to my newsletter thirty seconds after I sent it out, not only did you not get that one, you didn't get any of the other ones because it was in the days before WordPress where you could easily put the thing on your website. So initially, it was just email, send it, gone. Then the blogs invented. Now you could send it, but also post it on your website. So now, same content, though. But the nice thing is it now lives on your website. Google likes it. People can check it out after the fact. So that was the state of the world for you know, another five or six years. Now social media. So, for example, with my newsletter, I put it on my website before I send it. Now it's a blog. Then I send it. Then I record it. Now it's a podcast. I don't interview people like you're doing. I just record it. But there's a lot of sight-impaired people, people who prefer to listen. What do I care? It adds 30 minutes to the process. So now I have a podcast. It's on my website. It's on iTunes. Then I take it and I chop up little pieces of it. And for the next year, it, I recite. I cycle it through my social media, which for me is almost entirely LinkedIn with all my other newsletters, and then it expires in a year. It's just a little bit of a segment of it, an image, and a link back to the thing on my website. So I'm getting people who missed the first one. I mean, even your best readers who, you know, if your open rate's north of 35%, you're doing well. So that means two out of three people don't read each one Mm -hmm. at best. So they see it on social media. I published a book. It was just 29 slightly changed newsletters. So it's great. It's like the hard part is writing at once. Then how many different ways can you just spray this around over and over again? And yes, I suppose, as he was joking earlier, there's some people who are like, hey, wait a second, I read this before. But most people don't. And this way you get way more mileage for your hard work of writing at once.
0: Michael, this has been a great conversation. We're, we're running out of time and I want I want to be respectful of yours. there are probably questions that we didn't cover that somebody would have asked or didn't go as deeply as somebody would have liked. If somebody wants to contact you for more information about this topic, can they do so? And if if so, what's the best way to do that?
1: Uh, My website is just michaelkatz.com and they can subscribe to my newsletter or contact me there.
0: Well, great. Um, That's going to wrap it up for today's program. I'd like to thank Michael Katz so much for sharing his expertise with us. We'll be exploring a new topic each week. So please tune in so that when you're faced with your next business decision, you have clear vision when making it. If you enjoy these podcasts, please consider consider leaving a review with your favorite podcast aggregator. It helps people find us that we can help them. If you would like to engage with me on social media with my chart of the day and other content, I'm on LinkedIn as myself and at Unblankable on Facebook, Twitter, Clubhouse, and Instagram. Once again, this is Mike Blake. Our sponsor is Brady Ware and Company, and this has been the Decision Vision Podcast.